Well, we are uh, going to talk about one of our core values this morning. We've been talking on the presence of God uh, in the beginning of the year uh, and how powerful God's presence is and, and how important God's presence is in our life. And it's not just a theory or something that we, uh, an allegory or anything like that. We believe God's presence is really tangible, that you are temples of the Holy Spirit, that when you receive Christ, you receive the Spirit of Christ, that he is with you. He's not just a feeling, although you can encounter him, uh, but he's someone that uh, is with you. He's not a God that's forsaken us. And then we've been talking about uh, our next core value, which is prayer, and how important prayer is, and that God hears our prayers, and that he, uh, our prayers are powerful, and that, and that prayer changes things. And, uh, and so I wanna continue in the vein of prayer this morning. We're gonna keep on this topic for a while, and uh, it's actually a good topic. I think it's a topic that is sometimes under-talked about. It's like undervalued in a way because we don't realize the actual power and ability God's given us to communicate with him to be in connection with him, to actually abide with him. It's so important that our prayer life is actually strong and not atrophied. And I, I don't know about you, but I've experienced seasons in my life, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, where you have communion with him, you have connection with him, you're praying, and then all of a sudden, you have so many things going on in your life, uh, and maybe you're just a lot on your mind, and before you know it, it's been a while since you communicated with the Lord. Have you ever had that experience, or is it just me? Thanks, Daryl. <laughs> but prayer is really important. And so when we talk about prayer, I always like to look at the life of Christ and how he exemplified what it is to live a spirit-filled, empowered life here on earth, fully God, fully man. And, um, and so I look at Jesus' prayer life, and I looked at, you know, he had a strong private prayer life, and he had a, and he had a public prayer life. And there's times in our lives where we, we need to consider how strong is our private prayer life with the Lord. I'm just pointing out a few uh, uh, verses here, but uh, there's, there's many of them like this, but in Matthew 14, 23, it says, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountains by himself to what? To pray. The only reason why he went up there by himself was to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. In Mark 1.35, it says this, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. Jesus had a dedicated, awesome, private prayer life with the Father. And he needed this prayer life because of all that he was doing for uh, uh, humanity to restore uh, uh, the chasm between man and God by living a sinless life on earth, being in total communion with the Father. This was something that he understood, and that's why he had such a strong private prayer life. Even uh, being led into the wilderness by the Spirit uh, after his baptism where he prayed and fasted for 40 days and, and then was able to withstand the temptations of the enemies that came after that. But then there was times of, of corporate prayer life or, or times where he said, I need my friends with me to pray through something. In the Garden of Gethsemane where he pleaded that his his uh, uh, closest disciples would pray with him and tarry with him as he would have one of the hardest uh, nights of anticipation for suffering was going to be set before him. And so he's praying. And remember, he, the, the disciples kept falling asleep. He's like, could you not tarry one hour with me? But he understood the value of praying, praying with friends. 
And then, of course, we know in Acts 2, the corporate prayer where Jesus told them to to go together in Jerusalem and pray together, and they prayed for 10 days, 120, uh, praying, praying, praying that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. Why did he tell them to come together and not just say, hey, go to your private houses in your private rooms and pray that the Holy Spirit be poured out? No, he, he knew the power of corporate prayer, and he said, you all need to gather together and stay together and pray. Because there's power when the body of Christ actually comes together and prays and petitions the Lord. And so this is something that we do. And we don't do it because we need to, you know, it's not that God's counting how many times we pray. It's, 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 it's not that our, 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 the words that we say, uh, uh, just as many as possible, is what it contributes to how good our prayers are. In Matthew 6, 7, Jesus says, he says, and when you pray, do not... Keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they uh, think that they will be heard for their many words. And so we're not just coming together to pray because we want to tally as many words as possible to God. We're actually coming together to pray because we believe that Jesus hears our prayers, that God hears our prayers, and that in that our prayers are powerful. Now, I understand that sometimes we have a belief system. We're like, yeah, of course God hears our prayers. But, but let me tell you this. When you're actually convinced, not that it's just in your belief system, but when you're convinced that God is hearing you, that God is listening to you, then it would stir faith and joy in your heart and you would pray more. But oftentimes we get, and I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself, okay? I'd say I'm preaching to the choir, but we don't have one. That'd be cool to get one, maybe one day. But the, the reality is, is that if we were convinced that prayer changes things, then we would do it more. And I'm not saying that moments in your life you're not convinced. Sometimes we pray just out of desperation. And God is used to those prayers. You finally hit the low of the low. I remember when uh, I was not in a place of, of wanting to give my life back to the Lord and and I was still in a pretty dark place. And uh, my father, you know, was just like, well, he hasn't hit bottom yet. Once you hit bottom, you'll know. Because when you hit bottom, and I eventually did, you start praying prayers. Like, God, I have no other choice. So I guess I got to pray to you, you know. But the reality is, is that we need to keep communion with God. We're going to talk about that real soon. There's history of great people's prayer life. When I look at people who've done amazing things for Jesus and who God has used powerfully, uh, one of the most prominent things, if you ever read their biographies, is their prayer life. The Korean pastor, Yang Hee Cho, who had one of the largest churches in the world at one point, over a million people, and it was actually through prayer groups and prayer cells that they built that million-person church, and it wasn't just because it was a million people, but the, the biggest thing that Pastor Young Hee Cho did, and he's, he's, he's passed now, but what he did was he prayed for six hours a day, last time I read. Six hours a day of dedicated time alone with the Lord. Billy Graham, his prayer life, I heard, was three hours a day when he was active. I, uh, I, I went to Nigeria a few years ago. In 2017, I had the opportunity of speaking with uh, Dr. Adi Oboye, uh, who's in Lagos, Nigeria. 
um, him and uh, Dr. Randy Clark, we, we went to uh, a, an all-night prayer meeting that they were doing. They do a 20, they don't do an all-night prayer meeting, they do a 24-hour prayer meeting from midnight to midnight. It's pretty wild. Of course, when I went there, their church, uh, they had a church that could seat one million people under one roof. Pretty wild. The, uh, they would have rows of chairs and aisles, just like we do here, and then they would have, you know, like pillars and, and flat screen TVs and speakers that went for a mile so that people could actually sit in, corporately gathered under one roof. Now, the, the, the um, uh, sides of the building were actually open, um, but it was under one roof, and they would actually have to, they drove me to the platform because it would have been too long to walk a mile to get to the altar to get to the pulpit. They have 5,000 pastors on staff. They, they sat on a massive stage behind me. And they were just doing this prayer meeting, and there was no preaching, there was, there was prayer, the power of God, and testimony. Now, when, pa when Dr. Uh, Adeoboye, who's pastor of this church, he's the overseer of the church, he, uh, he, he took it over when it was uh, started by a farmer in Nigeria, that farmer passed away, and, and named Dr. Adeoboye as his uh, successor, and Dr. Adeoboye was not a pastor, he was just a dedicated lay member, but he was a, a professor of, of mathematics, and, um, and they only had 400 people in their congregation. And uh, he said, well, before we do anything, we need to dedicate. Because we asked him, what, what changed? He said, we started praying. We started praying for our city, our church, our community, our, our nation. And their prayer meetings went from 400 people to almost a million people where they had to actually put people, the, the city begged uh, the pastor, said, please, can you build your location outside the city? Because when the prayer meetings happened, everyone came together all at once, and so it blocked all the highways, and then people were abandoning their cars and walking to the prayer meeting, and it was a huge mess. So they built it outside, right outside Lagos, Nigeria. And I don't know if you've ever felt a million people praying in, in your direction before, but it is wild. Dr. Adeyeboye got up on the pulpit, and he said, just real simple man, unassuming, non-charismatic. He just said, pray for peace. He has a real deep voice. Pray for peace, peace like a river. That's what he would say. And then all of a sudden, everyone's like, shut and, and honestly, it sounded like bees. It sounded like there was a massive hive of bees, and it was all coming in one direction, so much so that my shirt, just like if you have music too loud and the bass makes your you know, uh, uh, clothes, uh, actually, I don't listen to music like that, but I used to, and um, <laughs> now I'm like, that's annoying. But, but, uh, but, but hearing prayer like that, my, my clothes were, were vibrating just from the decibels of people praying towards you. It's a powerful image. And, and I'm not talking about just the number of people, but how the, the, the nation of Nigeria has been largely Christian because of the prayer movements and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in that nation. It's been really powerful. I think of all, the history of prayer gatherings, because whenever I learn and study about revival, I never know about a revival that, that hadn't happened without a uh, number of series of years of prayer. Prayer always precedes revival. And so we need to pray to keep, we need to pray to keep ourselves um, strong in the Lord, 
I, I said this before, but I'll say it again. You know, uh, uh, when, when you work out, you know, a lot of guys, uh, especially young guys, when, they, when they're working out, they'll only work out their upper body because it just is so, you know, like they work out their arms and their chest and their abs. They want the abs. And they so often, this is what people tell me because I'm not a, a bodybuilder, but they so often forget their legs. So they have this big upper body and no legs. They have like poles for legs. And they say, you know, it's really funny because it might look good for them, you know, you know, having big arms and big chest and all that stuff. But the reality is, is that the legs are what actually give you power to actually move things for, for actual natural power movements. You actually need strong legs. It doesn't really, you know, your upper body helps, but it's not where the source of your power comes from. It's from your legs. Well, let me tell you this. The source of your power, the source of your strength is your prayer legs. Building up your, your, your spiritual life in your legs is actually building up your prayer life. And not having that atrophy. And sometimes I think we, we, get, we get the, 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 the uh, uh, ritual or the, the, the tradition of church down so well. We know how to worship. We know when to raise our hands. We know, you know when to say amen. We know all the verses by heart that you're supposed to know. And, um, and we, so we, we, we look like we have a good upper body, but the reality is we're atrophied in our, in our, in our prayer life. You look at the history of revivals, the Welsh revival started with prayer movements and you have Reese Howe and uh, Robert Evans, or Ever, Evan Roberts, excuse me, uh, who was in Wales. And Wales at the time was such a desolate place. People were, you know, the, the young people weren't even staying there. When they graduated, they left because there was just no economic development. The people who were already there became alcoholics. Broken homes were happening tremendously. And, and let me just tell you, there's nothing new under the sun. What's happening in Albuquerque had happened before. Okay, so, so it's not impossible for God. And so uh, after years and years of prayer and revival and, 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 and prayer gatherings, a revival started to break out in Wales like never before. And it was like a fire that spread through the country of Wales. So much so, this is in the history books, you can read it yourself, that the bars and taverns had to close because they did not have enough customers. Crime became so low that the cops didn't have much to do anymore, and they actually became the main security for the revival meetings. Now listen, I don't want revival just so that we have more and longer services. That doesn't sound pleasant to me. It's like, you know, it's like what's revival to you? Oh, we just actually spend as much time as we can you know, in church, and we have, you know, uh, days and days of, uh, of services over and over again for years and years. That's not, the, that's not what represents revival. Listen, revival is not an isolated incident. It shouldn't be. It's not just for the church to enjoy. The fruit of revival is actually transformation of the city. If you have things that are going on in your church that are so powerful, but it's not actually affecting the city, if your crime isn't going down, if, if people aren't getting set free, delivered, if it's not affecting the industries that are of vices like gambling and, 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 and lust and, and all those industries that the devil loves to operate in, then it's not real revival, in my opinion. Revival brings many people to Jesus, brings repentance, it brings salvation, it brings uh, deliverance, and it brings the kingdom of heaven outside the four walls of the church. 
And the Welsh understood this because they were desperate because they needed a change. If there wasn't going to be a change, they were not going to have a positive future. And so the Welsh revival uh, lasted only just a few years, but it did such a powerful move, movement that so many people can tr trace their, uh, their salvation of their family line to the Welsh revival. Even the Baptist missionary movement was started through a prayer movement. You had the first, second, the first and second great awakening that happened in, in, in England and in the U.S., that started through prayer, through hours and years of intercession. Now, some people say, well, why don't we have revival now? What's happening? I, I love to quote Leonard Ravenhill, who's a powerful man of God. He said, this is his opinion. He says, I believe we don't have revival because we are content without it. Just content living our lives without it. L Leonard Ravenhill has, is, he's like a, a quote smith. If you, if you look up Leonard Ravenhill quotes, you'll be blessed by just reading his quotes. So I got a little caught up here, and I'm going to quote one more. And this is him on praying. He said, the secret of praying is praying in secret. A sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. Now, I, I know what it's like to um, be in some atmospheres where it's like, you know, they're all talking about prayer. And in my youth and in my ignorance, when I was uh, uh, in ministry school, I was just so, let's do it. Let's get stuff done. Let's, let's actually activate and do stuff. And, and, and I was surrounded by awesome, wise people who said, let's pray. And I'm like, prayer, what's that going to do? Well, let's do something. I'm tired of just, you know, saying we're going to pray about it. Now, now, I understand that because there's a lot of times where we tell people, oh, we'll be praying for you. And we don't. I'll pray for you. Prayers your way. Send him prayers on your behalf. And we don't. And that, that we need to have a conviction about that. I, I really believe that when we say we're going to pray for someone, you should do it. And I think some, some of the lack of breakthrough we're not seeing is because we're not actually praying as, as, as well as we could be. And I'm, talking, I'm preaching to myself, okay? We, I'm saying we, all right? <laughs> and, so, um, and so I had this opinion, you know, uh, 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 and I've heard other people say, that's good and all, praying, but what are you gonna do about it? And, and, and of course, there is a practicality about that, that, that out of prayer should become an activation. Out of prayer should become a commissioning on your life. Out of prayer should result in fruit. But you can't activate and do things without starting in prayer. We need to start in prayer. We need to connect to the Lord. We need to get God's opinion about it. I love this story in Acts 16, 25 through 33. We're gonna read it together. It's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. If you, if you need a Bible, call the church. We will help you get a Bible. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now let me set this up here. Paul and Silas were, um, were out witnessing and sharing the good news of Jesus, and there was a, uh, a woman with a demon, possessed demon, that, people, that, that owners of her uh, were using her to make money. This, this demon was a divination demon, and so she would uh, be able to tell people things uh, by a demonic spirit. And um, she was annoying Paul so much because she, uh, she kept harassing them and then saying that they're preaching about the one true God. But he, Paul got annoyed after days. And so the apostle Paul cast the demon out. And then uh, the people who owned her lost their ability to make money with her. So they got upset and they went to the authorities and got Paul and Silas thrown in prison without trial or anything like that. 
And so now they're in prison, and this isn't gonna be a prison that you would expect. This is a prison, like no prison is nice, but if you're talking about a prison in the first uh, century, it's not gonna be looking pretty. They don't make them nice for the prisoners. They were shackled in in chains, and some uh, have said that the type of prison that they could have been in would have been a, a prison that actually slopes downward, that they're actually chained to the wall, and they're hanging from that position. And it said that, uh, let's get back to scriptures. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, and you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Thinking about baptism here. It's a powerful story, but, uh, and I would love to see that miracle even today where we pray so much that God shakes off the chains of bondage in America, in Albuquerque, where the actual world goes, what is happening here? But of course, we can't expect this without staying connected through prayer. And we're gonna read uh, another section of, of scripture here I'm not gonna apologize for reading so much scripture, um, so we're just gonna do it. Sorry, guys. I just apologized. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. That's what I meant. (laughs) I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I'll say that again. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Let's just stop for a second. I was um, uh, traveling a lot as a a young minister and I was doing a lot of uh, awesome revival meetings. God was moving, it was a powerful time. And, um, and, and, you know, I was getting um, distracted. I was getting burned out. I w- there was a lot of things going on in my life, and, and I wasn't morally failing or anything, but I just felt a little bit crispy, just like, you know, I was showing up to the meetings and God would show up, but in my own personal life, I found that my prayer life was getting dull. Now, if you're surprised that that happens to a minister, then you don't realize we're just people. Now, it shouldn't happen as much, and they should correct it and listen to the Lord, but I remember this, 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 this season of my life, and, and my wife, she loves um, you know, uh, getting flowers and putting them in a vase and all that stuff, and we have plants at home, and, 
And uh, I think at, at this time she had cut some flowers with the children on a walk and they had put them in a vase next to the sink. And, and so this, this uh, one day I was washing my, my hands and, um, and I see the flower uh, right next to the faucet and the Lord says, Paul, you're, you're like that flower. And I'm like, oh God, you're so good. Thanks God. You love me because you think I'm handsome. No, I, he said, look, that flower looks like it's alive. It's alive, but it's actually dead. It's been cut from the source. In a few days, it'll wither and die because it's not connected anymore. And when we have, a, when, when we have this relationship with the Lord, when we, when, we have, when we serve Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but don't stay in communion with him, it's like, not abide, it's like staying connected to the vine, but not drawing from the nutrients, drawing from the resource. And you end up becoming like a dead branch. It's important that we stay our lives connected, communicating with Jesus as much as possible. Because when we do these things, he will flourish in us. He will grow in us. His, his, his sanctification, the Holy Spirit will continue to break off the things that are holding you in bondage. Like Leonard Ravenhill said, a, 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 a praying man stops sinning and a sinning man stops praying. But when we can stay connected to Jesus, we actually grow in our communion with him, and that's why prayer is so powerful. Let's go on. I'm just gonna finish this section of scripture because it's so beautiful. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so, and so, to pro so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that you're, so, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy, say joy, your joy may be full. And I think sometimes we have a low joy level because we're not connected in communion anymore. We're not praying. And we like, you're like, you check your joy meter and it's like, Paul, when have you spent a good amount of time with Jesus? It's like, oh. You know, we, sometimes we just take our lives for granted so much. And, and, and here's the thing is that when we're doing things in our own strength, then we can do them. But when we actually start taking on things that we need God for, then we start leaning on him a lot more. And I, and, I, and I find that we should not be leaning in our own strength, but leaning on his strength. And how do we do that? We stay in communion through prayer. And now I, I wanna say all this to, to lead us up to what's happening on May 20th. At this church on May 20th, we're having a presence and prayer night. We wanna come together as a church. We wanna strengthen our prayer muscles as a church, as a community. And I wanna encourage you to invite as many people as, as, as uh, any believers that would love to come together to, to pray. But I want our church to definitely be here. If you can make it, we're gonna do several throughout the year because I want us to start petitioning for the Lord of things that, that we wanna see changed in our city things that we want to see changed in our church. Some churches will have, you know, uh, building uh, funds and they, and they ramp up and have meetings to, to raise money for buildings. I don't care about that. I want, to raise, I want to raise prayers to God. I want us to come together for that reason. And so uh, it's going to be a powerful night. We'll do worship and we'll have specific prayer points. We've invited the children to come because you know what? Children have powerful prayers. And so we'll, we'll have them pray at certain parts of, of the night. And um, I'm not gonna make you do a 24-hour midnight to midnight service, okay? 
It's gonna be May 20th. It's, it's only gonna be, I believe, seven to 10. Is that right? We'll start out seven to 10 to build up our, mus- our prayer muscles. Start somewhere. But before that, so that's gonna be this Friday night, this coming Friday night. So I wanna encourage you to come. And before that, start working that prayer muscle. If you have been like, you know, I didn't even realize it, but I've been so caught up in all my daily activity that I've not actually been in communion with God as I should be. You know what? Today's the day to start. R.A. Torrey talked about, R.A. Torrey, a famous revivalist who, uh, a revival through his life in ministry, started out with prayer circles at, at D.L. Moody's uh, church uh, in Chicago. They started out with like 20 person prayer circles, 2 a.m. in the morning. They were just praying that God would pour out his spirit, that there would be change in the city of Chicago, change in the nation, change around the world. These prayer circles started multiplying all throughout the world as he would travel. Some meetings would be 2,000 people just praying together. Others would be 20, but it were so many around the world. God was hearing the petitions of the saints. And when we pray, we're connected, we're abiding in him. So all of a sudden, our heart's desires become his desires and we start praying kingdom things. It's a duplicity in prayer. It's, It's you aligning your heart with God and it's also God hearing your prayers so he can send help because he chooses to partner with us. And so I want us to, uh, to come on May 20th so that we can pray and we can strike the ground. You know, there's a, there's a story, I don't, I don't have the uh, scripture reference for you to, today, but there's a story where Elisha uh, is, is he's very old, he's about to die, and he's meeting with the king who's, who's uh, uh, fearing for this uh, uh, country that's coming against them, I believe it was Syria. And so, uh, so he comes to the aid of the king of Israel, and he says, excuse me, I think it was the king of Judah, but he says, um, he said, He does a prophetic act to the king. He said, these arrows, he's with the king. He says, these arrows represent the Lord's deliverance. That's what he says to him. These arrows represent deliverance from this this oppressor. That's what they represent. And so then he takes the king and he says, and he shoots it and he he says that, you know, this will represent the destruction of your enemy. And then he tells him to do a prophetic act. After he tells him that these arrows represent the Lord's deliverance on his life, on his nation, He says, strike the ground. And you know what the king does? He strikes the ground three times. I think he did something pretty weak. That's my opinion. And the prophet gets mad at him. He says, why'd you just strike it three times? You should have struck it five or six. For now, you'll have some victory, but you won't get freedom from your oppressor. Now, I I used to feel sorry for, for the king. I would say, well, well, if the prophet told him to do five, six times, he, I'm sure he would have done it five or six times. No, the prophet was testing his heart. How much do you want your breakthrough? If you really believe that these arrows represent deliverance, then you would, break, you would slam them to the ground till they're broken. Do we really believe that our prayers are petitions before the Lord? Do we understand the power that they have? And I think if we did, if we really were convinced, we would strike the ground. And so this is what I wanna do. I wanna strike the ground. I don't wanna do it just to do it. I wanna do it because I know there's power in it. So I wanna strike the ground until there's breakthrough. And that's why I was talking about before, R.A. Torrey, he would have this famous saying, pray until pray. He says, he says, pray until you have, pray and pray through. 
you pray through it. It's that knock and keep on knocking. It's that seek and keep on seeking. It's that ask and keep on asking. And the door will be open and you will find and you will um, receive. Why? Because you're constantly praying until breakthrough. When do you stop? When you have your answer. When do you, when do you stop petitioning the Lord? When, when you have your answer. Why don't you stand? So thankful for you guys to be a part of this church service and this baptism service. I'm so thankful for your patience with us. Um, I know it's a little bit longer than, than, we, than we normally have it, but it's worth it. So let's pray as a church together. Why don't you just close your eyes and, um, and let's just pray. God, I just thank you that you've given us arrows. You've given us the ability to petition before you, that you've welcomed us to abide in you that your word has made us clean, that we've, we've, we've received you as savior. But Lord, some of us, uh, many of us maybe at times have not stayed in constant communion. We've not stayed connected to you. We've become atrophied in our prayer life. Lord, I ask that, including me, forgive us for that. Lord, we wanna start today. We wanna connect with you again. We wanna, Holy Spirit, would you remind us every day to stay connected to you? Will you remind us every day to petition before you and that we would offer prayers to you? Lord, I pray that belief and faith would stir in our heart, knowing that you actually listen and you hear us and that we wouldn't become discouraged. We wouldn't listen to the thoughts of the enemy, but we will actually bring to you the needs of this city, this state, this nation, the needs of our church, the needs of our family. God, that we wouldn't stop praying for our spouse. We wouldn't stop praying for our children. We wouldn't stop praying for our parents. God, would you stir us up again as a church that prays, as a church that comes before you, petitioning for you. Lord, I, I don't know what's gonna happen on Friday night, but Lord, I pray that you would do a special thing. If anything, just commission us as people for this city. Put on our heart what's on your heart, God. I thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I also wanna give you some, uh, a, a helpful tip that really can uh, help me at times. While you're praying, and especially if you haven't done it in a while, all of a sudden, every thought that you've not thought before starts coming in your mind, especially things you need to do. I don't know if it's a, a distraction from the enemy or if it's just that we've stimulated our minds so much that when we finally have some peace and quiet, our brain's like, oh, now I can bother you. But the, um, I wanna just give you a helpful tip. If you're praying and all of a sudden you're like, oh, I need to return that Amazon package. I forgot. Just write it down. Just go, I'm not, don't, don't, don't leave your place and start doing it because you'll get frustrated about that. Just write it down. Okay, I'm gonna write a list return the Amazon package, and you start praying again. You're like, dear Lord, I just pray. And she's like, did I pay that bill? I'm gonna have to check. And so just write it down. Write it down. I'm, I'm I, know, I know it sounds so silly, but this will actually work. And then eventually you'll get them down, and then you can pray. Your, your mind will be at peace, and you'll be able to communicate with the Lord without interruption. All right, we're gonna have uh, prayer partners here to pray with you. If you're going through something, it's powerful when people pray together. Um, come forward. We'd love to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, a financial breakthrough, you want to pray for some of your family members, just come. One, one little testimony. 
you know, my, my wife Ruth, uh, her brother, uh, his name's Anthony, he lives in New Zealand, and, uh, and he uh, was a very strong atheist. Um, he was a partier. He was the life of the party. Uh, I, you know, you're one of those people you look, you're like, I don't know if that person could ever get saved, you know, like, and, uh, but he's such a wonderful man and uh, loving, uh, but he didn't have Jesus and didn't want Jesus. And he had a sister who decided she's gonna pray for him and bother him. You know, they say if you don't accept Christ before 18, the percentage of, of you being able to accept Christ goes down a lot. And he's, you know, 29 years old and hadn't received the Lord, but she would talk to him about Jesus and pray with, uh, for him and with him. And then one day he calls us on Skype and says, I want you to know that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I want you to be the first to know. And on his 30th birthday, he invites all his friends and family unsaved, and he gets baptized in front of them on his 30th birthday. A YWAMer, he was, he was picking up a YWAM hitchhiker who, who, who proclaimed the gospel to him. Don't think that God's not too big. He's the hound of heaven. He'll go after him. All right. Bless you guys. Have a great week. I can't wait to see you next week. And Friday night, please come, all right? Have a good night.